We're going to continue our study of Paul's letter to the church in, in Ephesus. Um, I'm going to talk about Ephesus while you guys are getting back to your chair because this just so tells everyone. Ephesus is a, an ancient city in the modern day country of Turkey. It no longer exists. It's actually a really fascinating thing. It used to be on the water, but the water has now receded back. I, 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 I think it was the Black Sea. Uh, I got to get my geography. It might have been the Mediterranean. But anyway, it was an ancient port city. Um, it housed one of the ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis. Um, and anyway, so Paul is writing his letter to the church that was located in this ancient city and area. And we're going to continue our study of this letter, particularly in chapter 4. It is important to note that as we study uh, Ephesians 4, 7-14, through 14, that this actually comes in light of what is being discussed in a greater picture. So chapter 4 should not be broken up just 7 through 14. It, it really, that the thought of Paul comes in verses 1 through 16, and we'll look at verse 15 and 16 next week. But let me remind you of what Paul said last week, especially for those that weren't, weren't here last week to study it with us. Paul's admonishment in verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 4, to live humbly, gently, patiently, comes out of the oneness of the church. That You can't walk humbly if you're not together and one with people. You can't be gentle with someone if you're not one with somebody. You can't be patient if you're not connected to someone. And, and we see this oneness explicitly stated in verse 4, 5, and 6 of the same chapter. There's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So, so this is in light of the church. He's discussing the church. The church is one. And so now as we turn our attention to verse 7 through 14, what we're actually going to see is that the diversity amidst the unity. It's still discussing the church, but it's discussing the church in light of the individual people that make up the church. And so that is our attention, or that's what we're going to be giving our attention to now in the Word of God. Hear the reading of the Scripture of God, Ephesians 4, 7-14. through 14. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. And saying He ascended, what does it mean? But that He had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Now, many of you might be wondering, what did I just read? It feels like it's more of a sci-fi novel than it is the Bible. But let me just explain this, and then we're going to move on. Everything that was just stated in those verses revolves around verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So that when we get to verse 8, we find Paul quoting from another passage of Scripture, Psalm 68, 18. This quotation is then followed in verse 9, which is somewhat of a parenthetical of what he just said in verse 8, and it's commentary of what he just said. So, what is really going on? Well, there's a lot to unpack in what, what he's saying, and I believe it's fair to summarize it very quickly and briefly, and we'll move on. Here's what he says. Each person who trusts Christ as Lord and Savior receives a gracious gift from Christ. That's verse 7. These gifts were the result of Christ, the eternal Son of God, leaving heaven, coming to earth, defeating sin and death, and then going back to His throne room where He bestows these gifts to His church for the fulfilling of its purpose. That's verses 8, 9, and 10. 
Simply put, 8, 9, and 10 are parenthetical to verse 7. If you want to get more technical, that's what it is. And so I want us to return to our reading thinking about this, that Christ has given the church gifts. That's all that it is, what we just read. So let's return to verse 11. What are the gifts? Well, verse 11, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we might no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is the Word of God. Turn the mic down. Alright, forgive me. That's better. I, there's a loud, loud humming and it was bothering me. Well, last summer our worship service had ended and a group of people, as is common amongst one of our worship services, had begun discussing where we, where we were going to go to lunch. As often the case, our church likes to go to lunch together, and I love that. Well, my son Benjamin, who was four at the time, caught wind of this and came running to me and excitedly asked me, Dad, 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 can we go to Freddy's? Now, if you know Freddy's, Freddy's is a relatively new burger joint in West Little Rock. And my son recently discovered dirt and worms, which is a very tasty ice cream treat. <laughs> and so he thought, hey, if we go to Freddy's, I get dirt and worms. And sensing his excitement and my desire to make Benjamin happy, I said, of course we could go to Freddy's. And the joy on Benjamin's face was truly unforgettable. And here's why. Because as I said yes, he got so excited, he actually started to do spin moves. Like he just was spinning down the center aisle like this, saying, we're going to Freddy's! <laughs> Now, unbeknownst to me, at the same exact time that Benjamin was asking me if we could go to Freddy's, there was a group of people discussing where we're going to lunch. And the decision amongst the body of people was that we were going to Slim Chickens. My wife being one of the persons discussing that. And I want to be with you. I want to go to lunch with people. I don't, I don't want to just go home and be by myself. And so I was like, Oh, we're going to go to Slim Chickens. No big deal. And I'll never forget the sadness that came across Benjamin. You want to talk about pendulum swinging from joy to utter despair. It went from dancing down the aisle to being into a sad heap of despair on the floor. I mean, tears coming from his eyes, loud wailings coming from his mouth. I mean, it was the most... Mm, Oh, as a, you hate to do that as a parent. And of course, realizing I spoke a little too soon, I said, all right, all right, Benjamin. I went to him in his despaired state, and I said, Benjamin, Benjamin, we'll go to Freddy's tonight. But you know what? The damage was already done. No amount of convincing him, Benjamin, Benjamin, we're going to Freddy's tonight. Don't worry. We're able to convince him of, of, uh, of it, of being happy and saying, oh, okay. I wonder why Benjamin wasn't able to, to discern that or to say, hey, I can kind of put off the joy of going to Freddy's for three hours. I can do that. I wonder why. Well, you wonder why he is? Because he's four years old. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, Benjamin, I don't expect him to be mature, but he's immature. He is absolutely immature. And you know, the reality of people in the church is that people in the church are just like Benjamin. Uh, the, the slightest, uh, uh, you know, news of new doctrine can send people into this, oh my gosh, this is new, we gotta figure this out, and it's like, you, you realize that people have been discussing this for 2,000 years, why don't you just calm down? The, 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 uh, slightest mishap might send people over, over the wall and, and will hold grudges. It's immaturity. There's just this reality of, of being in the church. And honestly, we shouldn't expect anything different. The reality of spiritual immaturity. It's just what it is. Because some of us are new to Christianity. Some of us don't know anything about Christianity and are just entering into it. And in truth, we should expect to be like four-year-olds upon hearing something new that we might be full of joy and then finding out that something happens that we fall on our face and saying, oh my goodness. In reality, this is my experience as being a Christian. I remember shortly after I felt this desire to be a pastor, I found myself working at a, at a Christian camp. And I, and I loved working at this Christian camp because I was able to just, uh, uh, uh disciple these, these twelve, uh, boys into what it means to be a Christian. And, 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 and as I had the privilege of, of, of literally doing all life. And one of the things that we had to do was clean our cabin every day. And we had to be marked by it. And it was just trying to train them up to become more mature human beings. But if we didn't clean up good enough, there's actually some consequences. And my cabin wasn't the greatest in the sense of obedience and things like that, but it was fun nevertheless. But I remember we started to get some pressure from the leadership of the camp, like, you guys got to start cleaning up. And if you don't clean up, well, then you can't go on this great adventure. Uh, the Silver Dollar City, for those of you who know Silver Dollar City. Great adventure, let me tell you. <laughs> but I remember being so mad uh, at the leadership because these boys worked really hard. They worked really hard to clean their cabin. And as hard as they worked, they couldn't quite measure up. And I remember being so mad when they kept, you know, getting on to them. I got so mad that I lost it emotionally. I mean, I just was weeping tears of, of just like, it was anger tears, just weeping anger tears, not able to process all that was going on and all that was going in the camp. And then I remember the leadership having to have to deal with me. What? Deal with me? You're the ones that need to be dealt with. You see, I didn't have the maturity early on in my faith to really understand and discern what was going on in the life of these boys and of this camp. And I reacted in such an immature way. Now, thankfully, they let us go on this trip. But here's the reality of my life. I've even had to grow in maturity. There are times when I am deeply affected by, by being rejected by a friend that sends me off into a spiral. I can't think about being in Christ. I can't think about the great gospel that is ours, uh, of being forgiven and having a new identity in Christ. All I can think about is that person let me down. I'm spiritually immature. And so are you. And so are you. I mean, have you ever longed to be in a place where you are stable? Where the slightest mishap does not necessarily send you off your rocker into this great emotional spiral that all you can think about is that one wrong? Do you long to be in a place where, yeah, I'm not saying that you're not disappointed or that you don't, you know, there's, there's things that hurt. I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to be emotionless. 
but the emotions don't affect you and create this instability in your life. Do you long for that? I do. How in the world can we find this stability? What is the thing that that Christ himself, what is the gift Christ has given to help us be stable? Well, here in Ephesians 4, we find the gift. And I'm going to tell you, it is indeed an unexpected gift. It's a gift we typically don't think of. And it's found in verse 11. What is the gift that Christ gave the church to help it mature? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. These are the very gifts that Christ has given. But He's also given us other gifts. And the teachers of the, and the prophets and the teachers are, 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 are called to, to develop these things, and this is what we're going to look at. And so the question I have for you, are you submitting yourself to the very gift that Christ has given? Are you submitting yourself to the church? This is indeed one of the great steps towards growing in maturity. It is my hope this morning to convince you to indeed to submit yourself to the leaders of the church, to the great gift of the church, which is his leaders. Now one quick word. I realize when I say to submit to the church leaders, some of you might immediately dismiss me. And here's the reality. Not every church leader needs to be submitted to. The stories are rampant in our world of, of pastors and of leaders in the church who have abused, who have, who have used their authority in ungodly ways. And it has caused you to say, why in the world would I ever submit to them? Even more so, why would I even consider that leaders are a gift to the church. You might be repulsed by this. But my friends, we must go to God's Word. And we must say, okay, if God's, Jesus is saying, the gifts that I'm giving you to mature are the leaders, let's try to figure this out. So we're going to do this by answering three questions. The first question is, who are these church leaders? The second question, what are the church leaders to do? And the third one, where are the church leaders trying to go? Who are the church leaders? What are the church leaders to do? Where are church leaders trying to go? And so here's what, I mean, this is in essence, I'm giving you my job description. I'm telling you, hey, you want to know what? Here's how you can fire me if I don't do the very things that I'm telling you to do. Because what my position, who I am, Jesus says is a gift to the church. And I'm asking humbly to submit to the church leadership. Okay, so let's let's dive in. Who are these church leaders? Well, we see right off the bat who these leaders are in verse 11. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. In answering who these leaders are, it is apparent that there are seemingly five different types of leaders in the church. But the reality is that that's not the case. I'm here to tell you that what you experience day to day in the church, this is my argument for this point, who these leaders are is it's not the case. So let's look at these five different types of categories of leaders that Paul talks about as being gifts. The first one he says is apostles. Who are apostles? Well, the apostles that that Paul is referring to are the eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection, who have been sent out by Jesus to establish the church throughout the world. The church, thankfully, has been given these men as a gift to the church. But guess what? These men are no longer with us. 
The eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection are no longer with us. However, we do have their testament of what Christ has done. We do have their letters of how the church is being established. This text being part of this word. There are no longer apostles in the life of the church, according to this. We just have the word of the apostles. So the church, when we look at the leaders, we say, okay, we we do listen to the apostles, but the apostles are not in our midst today. So that's the apostles. Those that's so we look back on the apostles, people like Peter, James, John, Paul. So that's the apostles. The second group, the prophets. Who are these prophets? Well, simply put, this is the prophets. Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Look in your Old Testament. All these names of, of these books that you might see. Those are the prophets. And these prophets give us so much about who God is and how He is working. And these indeed are gifts to us. But when it comes to us in, in the life of the church, there's no prophets around here. People who are receiving new revelation of God saying to you, this is the way to go. There's no prophet. This is where like the church of Latter-day Saints goes wrong. They say John Smith is God's prophet. I'm like, okay, let's look at that. No, he's not. The prophets are no longer with us. So you have apostles and your prophets. We look back on them. We, we learn from them, but they're not with us. So those are the two categories that Paul gives to us that we still dwell on, that we still look at, and we're still thankful for those gifts, but they're no longer with us. But the third, the fourth, and the fifth category, my argument is that they are with us. The evangelists. Who are the evangelists? The evangelists are people who do go out and start new churches. The evangelists are people who go out and start new churches. Um, if you're if you're new to this church, this is a church plant. And according to our church structure and governing, whatever, my title is actually evangelist. I am known as an evangelist. And this is the category in which it started. This is a church plant. There's a lot of things going on in the life of church. This is an evangelist. And so Christ has given people like me to start new works like this. And they're all across the world. Missionaries, um, church plants, and those sorts of things. So who are these people? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the last category, shepherds and teachers. We might be tempted to take these as two distinct classes, but my argument is that they're of the same. And this is because the definitive article, the the, that comes before shepherds and teachers, it's just one. And so, how do we understand shepherds and teachers? Because this is exactly what we experience in the life of the church today. Well, one of the ways that our church just defines this is by ruling and teaching elders. Ruling and teaching elders. The term elder comes from Paul's other language uh, that he used when he was talking to the church to set it up. And, 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 and so, shepherds and teachers would be two categories of elders, people who are tasked with leading the church. Ruling elders don't necessarily have to go to seminary, but they're tasked with shepherding and guarding and protecting. And so you can see this in the life of the church. One of the realities of the members of this church is to discern who is already shepherding people in the life of this church and nominating them to be it, be elders of the church, shepherds. It's also the task of the church to decide who's teaching us. And so, so, so here's the big question, because this is what we're asking. When Paul says that, that there's a gift given to us by Christ, and the gift is the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, and the shepherds, who are these? Well, that is what I tried to establish. What they are, and how we as a church 
are blessed by them. So we know that there are teaching and ruling elders and evangelists in our midst in which we submit to. And the question then for us, which moves us to the second question that I want to answer, is what are the church leaders to do? What are present day the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to do? If you spend any time with me, you know that one of my pet peeves when discussing leadership is the failure to distinguish between mission and vision. I see it all the time. People will confuse, and this is like writing literature leadership. People will confuse the two, which leaves people so lost as to the difference between mission and vision. And let me just state this very briefly for you. What's the difference between mission and vision? Mission is what you do. Vision is where you're trying to go. And what we see right here when we get to verse 12 is the mission given to the very gifts of God. What is the mission of the, of the evangelists, of the shepherds and the teachers? What is it? You see it. It's straight right there. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. There is one specific mission that the leaders of the church have. And that is to prepare, inspire, and outfit the people in the church to do its work. It is this work that then builds up the church. It grows it, it sustains it, and makes it powerful. In truth, this idea that the the shepherds and the teachers are to equip is so counter to so much of our thinking and so much of our church world because we think that the pastors and the staff and the other people are the ones that are doing the ministry because after all, that is what we pay them to do. But this sort of thinking runs so counter to what Paul says the mission of pastors is, what they are called to do. What pastors are called to do is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who does the ministry? It's not the pastors. It's you in the church. What are you to do? Well, you're to build up the body of Christ. Let me speak very briefly on this body of Christ The body of Christ is one of the primary analogies that Paul uses to describe the church. And this is most notably seen in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth when he describes the church as the body of Christ. One body with many members. Eyes, ears, nose, arms. This is describing there's one, but there's multiple entities of the church. And so when we talk about the pastors equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry... It's the eyes and the ears. It's, it's, it's what, what goes on that does this. And so it is my job to say to you, all right, let's do this. Let me help you do the work of ministry. And one of the great privileges that I've had as the pastor of this church is that I've seen so many of you do that. I've seen many of you serve the poor and do incredible things and allow the church to establish ways to serve the poor. I've seen so many of you uh, welcome people who come into the church for the very first time. I've seen many of you bring encouragement, open up your homes. I've seen many of you pray with one another, encourage one another. One of the great privileges of seeing this is that you are the very picture of what Paul is saying. And in many ways, I've tried to, to follow. My job is to help you do those very things. And sometimes, and I've had to learn this myself, I get in the way of myself. 
And when you start a, a work like this on your own, John, I did it. <laughs> he says, I play with this podium too much, and I did it. And then look at what happened. Let me get this. When I started the church, everything was on me. And I came to an increasing, uh, what I call, repentance of saying, I'm doing way too much work here. I need to give it away. And it might not look the way that I want, but this is what God has called me to do. And you know one of the most beautiful things about me saying, you do it, I'm going to help you, I'm going to support you, I'm going to do whatever I can. One, it gets done way better than I would have ever done it. And two, it allows you to use the God-given gifts that He has given to you. Because what does it say in verse 7 of our text? He has given gifts to each one of us. Each one of us has been given gifts. Let me ask you this. Are you on the sidelines and you want to, you want to, you want, you see things that need to be done as a church? Let me know about it. Because I want to do whatever it takes to equip you to do the work of ministry. Because that is what I've been called to do. That is what evangelists and shepherds and teachers have been called to do. I am not here to entertain you. I am not here to preach the greatest message that makes you leave here in tears, though that's not a bad thing. I'm not knocking on that. My job is to equip you to do the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ. If I am not doing that, fire me. <laughs> like, Get me out of here. That's my mission. That's the mission. I think what happens when we struggle to see what happens when, when we are frustrated with church leaders, the church leaders lose sight of that. Church leaders, the gifts of God to His church, are tasked with that mission. So we've looked at who are the leaders, what are the church leaders to do. Now we need to ask, where are the church leaders going? I told you that I like to define mission and vision. I want to tell, tell you what vision is. People... Again, confuse the two, but here's what vision is. Vision is what can get done. It's something that's in the future. That's why it's a vision. You can see, this is where we're going. If we stay firm in the mission, if we're going to do what we say we're called to do, that the pastors are equipped, that the people serve, what is going to happen? What is the vision? Where is the leader trying to lead people to go? Well, you can see it. So clearly, in verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If the pastor is faithful to equip the saints and the saints are then offering themselves in ministry to others, it is bringing unity and it is increasing people's knowledge of Christ. It is bringing people to spiritual maturity. Indeed, the vision of church leaders is to bring about its spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity can be defined in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, walking as Christ walked. I think we can perhaps understand this vision even better by looking at the inverse of verse 14. Let's look at verse 14 again. What does he say? All these things so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. A spiritual pers mature person is someone who is not a child. A spiritual mature person 
is someone who thinks and acts like an adult. They're able to process information without being influenced by one's desires or even by one's will. They have a will that is greater than that. Further, a spiritual mature person is someone who's stable, not tossed to and fro by every new doctrine, every new teaching that comes across our, our plate. And indeed, we're receiving these doctrines and all these things all the time. And so, what do we expect? Where are church leaders trying to go? And perhaps to answer this question is, what are church leaders, what, what am I supposed to do? What is the tangible expression to allow this maturing to take place? There's two things I want to do. I want to, to, to tell you that I am supposed to do. The first one is to preach. To do exactly what I'm doing right now. Paul, in a lot of the letter to, to the church in Colossians, says this, In Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It is my job to proclaim Christ and Him crucified and risen and ascended each and every week because we often lose sight of that. We think, I am what I do. I am what I accomplish. I am what I don't do. And if we believe what we are or what we do, my friends, we will be tossed to and fro because our, our, our will changes each and every day. But not so for those who are in Christ. For those who are in Christ have been crucified with Christ and no longer live. No longer are those who are in Christ defined by what they do or by what they don't do. Those who are in Christ are defined by what He has done and who He is. And so I preach to you each and every week, Christ crucified on behalf of your sins, what you haven't done and what you have done in con- <laughs> away from God's will. And I preach His grace and His mercy offered to you. I preach Christ crucified, risen, and ascended. And do you know that you are no longer defined by what you do or what you don't do if you are a Christian? Do you know that there's a chance that you can, you can be defined differently than that? So many people fall into that. So I preach... And I preach with wisdom, and I preach in such a way that warns of of false doctrines, but ultimately I preach Christ crucified, died, and risen. The second thing that I'm called to do is obviously to develop. What does it mean to equip? Well, I equip you to understand what the calling of ministry is. I, some of us have no idea what, what is ministry. Ministry is the meeting of needs. It's, it's, it's helping each other understand this. And so one of the things that I try to develop in each and every one of you, and I offer this class twice a year, and I, and I really want to encourage you because it's one of my favorite things to do, is I have a leadership development class, uh, midweek, early morning. I realize it's tough, but, but it is such a big part of what I do because I'm trying to develop leaders in the church to understand two very important questions that we all need to ask. What is your purpose in life and how does change occur? All leaders need to know where they're going. What is their purpose? What is their mission? And they need to know how to get people to go with them. Many of us don't even know how to begin to ask those questions. And I love to teach and to develop this this thought of, of leadership and equipping you. 
And, and, and even most recently, um, our friend Paul is doing the same thing. It's a little different. He's teaching different aspects of reading the Bible, but certainly teaching principles of leadership from the Bible. And it's beautiful things. See, at the heart of what we're trying to do is to equip you to do the work of ministry. But that requires developing you as leaders. That requires me saying, here, I want you to run this hospitality team. Here, I want you to run this community group. Here, I want you to put, plant the state, play in the stage and grow, grow the team that to, to, to does the work of ministry because this doesn't get set up by itself. It's giving you the keys and saying, run. And you might be like, uh, see, we gotta develop you and that's okay. Like I said, there's, the reality of the church is that you're gonna have varying degrees of maturity and that's okay. And we want to help the immature to become more mature. We want to help the mature to increase in their maturity. And this is just a part of developing process. And I want to do this for every single one of you to help you learn what it means to do the work of ministry. So I preach and I develop. But one other thing about development, and this is certainly one of the things that I'm very excited about, but I also develop not only the church, but I also develop other ministers. Um, in the month of April, our church began the Timothy program. And Blake, who you uh, met earlier uh, in the day and gave the announcements, he's our first participant in the Timothy program. The Timothy program is inspired from Paul, who wrote this letter, his relationship with Timothy, who's one of the pastors of this Ephesians church. And Paul tried to help Timothy become a minister and teach him all that he was you know all all that was required of being a minister how do you equip the saints to be equip the saints that's a question and i love what he says in second timothy 2:2 2, 2. in his letter to timothy he says this what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach it to others also so one of the things that i develop is future ministers which we are doing in the life of this church not only developing you, but developing future ministers to be able to teach faithful men and women as well. I mean, it's one thing to teach, but it's another thing to teach to teach. That's, that's, that's challenging and something that I am personally trying to grow in myself. So where am I trying to take you? I'm trying to take you to spiritual maturity. How am I trying to take you to spiritual maturity? By development and by preaching. Let me conclude. I realize that some of you have had terrible church experiences. That the pastors and the, the, the shepherds and the teachers have abused you, have mistreated you, have neglected you. And I want to say that oftentimes it's either become, it's because of their own immaturity or their failure to grasp what they're called to do from Scripture and where they're trying to take you. But in truth, I realize that that's not the case for all of us including myself. In truth, I have always been blessed by pastors. Thanks be to God. If it weren't for Reverend Steve Brown, I don't know if I would have been raised in a home where the grace and mercy of Jesus was valued, expressed, and pressed deep into my life. Here was a man who equipped my mom and my dad to build me up in the grace and the faith of our Lord. I'm very deeply indebted to him. If it weren't for Ray Cortez, Reverend Ray Cortez in Florida, I don't know if my eyes would have been opened to the wonder of the gospel of grace. 
His ability to articulate, inspire, proclaim, and convince me of these truths caused me to grow in my maturity in the faith. It caused me to depend on God for my life rather than on my actions and on my obedience. More than that, if it weren't for Ray Cortez, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to develop as a minister the way that I had. For he sought me, an immature college student, and said, you come work at my church. You come learn what it means to be a minister. You come be under my leadership, which was incredibly gracious and profound. You come learn what it means to preach the grace of Christ. And boy, did I ever. I'm so thankful for him. And who knows how else pastors have affected me. For certainly pastors have had influences in in people who I am incredibly indebted to, and two in particular, They're kind of counselors of mine. One is Sharon Hirsch and the other is Roger Shepard. Without these people, I don't believe I would be all that mature. But they were willing to listen to me. They were willing to challenge me. They were willing to guide me into Christ's maturity. There's no telling how these men and women in my life have helped me mature into the man that I am. Not that I'm some person who's so established in the faith as if I'm this rock beyond all rocks because I am not still growing in the faith as well but I can look back and I say this very thing what an unexpected gift pastors are what an unexpected gift yeah we're not perfect but when I look back on my life I say Jesus you really knew what you were doing you gave us pastors and I'm thankful you know, if this isn't your church home, um, I, I would love for it to be your church home. But here is my just two cents to you. I want to help grow people into spiritual maturity. I want to help develop people in using the gifts that God has given to you to work and to serve in this church and in our community to love I want to convince you that the difficulty it is for us to be loved, it is my hope that you hear that and say, you know what? I can submit to that. I'm not perfect. But maybe you can say, I can submit to that. For those of you who do call this church your home, you hold me to the very things that I just preached. You hold me to equip you to do the work of ministry. You hold me to to preach the gospel. You hold me to the development of you as, as children of God who are to grow up. You hold me to that. That is my call. And hopefully I do it graciously and gently so that you too can say, what a gift our Savior has given to me through our shepherds and teachers. May God receive the praise and the glory for all that He does through me, And through you, let me pray. Jesus, we do give you thanks for those who have ministered to us. Lord, I do thank you for the men and the women in the church who have blessed me beyond my uh, ability to even understand. Thank you. I thank you for the shepherds and the teachers who have faithfully proclaimed your word. I thank you for the shepherds and the teachers who have developed me into the man that I am today. Lord, thank you for that. May I continue to humbly submit my own self to those shepherds and teachers of the church that I might continue to grow 
that I might not be pushed to and fro by the waves of this world, established in the truth. Lord, I pray this for these friends of mine as well. Lord, would you do this that we might be mature, stable, and strong, bastions of grace. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.